0: Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing.
1: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue,
2: and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. The Reckoning is a public radio and podcast series which traces the history and lasting impact of slavery in America by looking at how the institution unfolded in Kentucky. The series is produced by Dan Gediman, who has been producing award-winning programming for public radio for many, many years, including an NPR series that you may remember, This I Believe, on a national scale, and th- then This I Believe Kentucky was a, a book a few years ago. Uh, also, the audible documentary series, The Homefront Life in America During World War II, and 50 Years After 14 August, which won the DuPont Columbia Award, one of the highest honors in broadcasting. According to the Reckoning website, uh, one of the things uh, Aden Gediman and his team wanted to do in this series is examine how our country has developed such a profound misunderstanding of its own history. And then this paragraph, in the aftermath of the Civil War, a coalition of Confederate veterans and their family members began to promote an alternative history of slavery and why the war was fought that uh, came to be known as the lost cause, Kentuckians were central to this effort and worked tirelessly to publish books, textbooks, and periodicals that deeply affected the national narrative about slavery and the Civil War to this very day Dan Geddeman welcome to think Humanities
1: thank you so much bill
2: and We'll talk about the lost cause uh, a little bit later, but first of all, let me just ask uh, if you can sort of update your resume for us and and lead us up to the point uh, from uh, this, I believe, to The Reckoning, but just before you got the idea or somebody got the idea or you began to look into what uh, has really turned out to be a, a terrific series that's running on public radio uh, right now, so um, how 's life been in louisville kentucky
1: well, it's been it's been good it 's been you know troubling recently, especially with the Brianna Taylor case that has roiled the city so uh deeply um, over the past several months um, to answer your question um, sort of the genesis of this project uh really grew out of this, I believe, so this I believe was a series. Uh, we're still doing it as a podcast, but it was on public radio um, for about a decade um, and as a little five-minute weekly feature. And um, what we did was we asked people from all walks of life to answer the question, what do you believe? What is? What are the core beliefs you have in your life? And this was a, a remake of a series that Edward R. Murrow did in the 1950s. Well, one of the people who were who was featured on Edward R. Murrow's series in the 1950s was an African-American journalist named Will Thomas. And um, one of the things that got me interested in doing the This I Believe project was reading this particular essay from this particular man. And he had covered lynchings for the African-American newspapers of the time and um, became so Despondent over the state of America and race relations and how African Americans were treated that he decided to renounce his u s citizenship and move to Haiti because at that time it was the only place in the world that was run you know as a government by African Americans or by black people I should say and um his story he eventually wrote a book length uh, book about this which I got a copy of and I read and I got very involved with this and I tried to do a um, documentary about this man and his, his struggle. And that really is the genesis of this project because for some reason, reading this man's words and, and how eloquent he was writing about this um, touched me in a way that nothing up to that point had. Um, I sort of started to see what on earth it must've been like for him to go through this experience of um, witnessing, Horrible events, one after another, after another, traveling through the South. And um, that really was the start of what became this project. And what I, it really honestly was sort of an autodidactic personal education project for me as a white college educated Northerner. I grew up in Massachusetts, um, and what I learned about slavery and Jim Crow oppression in America uh, would fit in a in a small thimble. Um, I really didn't learn much about it at all growing up. It was not a significant part of the social studies curriculum. And what I did learn was a very simplified um, narrative of what happened. Okay. And, and I I described this in the series It was basically slavery was bad. Uh, The North uh, stopped slavery and then the South wouldn't stop slavery. And so we had a civil war and then slavery ended. And then what happened afterwards was um, could best be described as Uh, Black people got the vote, black people or black men got the vote, black people got uh, some some political power, and they couldn't handle it well during reconstruction. And so white people had to take over again for their own good. And that was Jim Crow. And and this embarrasses me to say this today, but I got to say, if you were to put a gun to my head 10 years ago and said, what happened in the in the decades after the Civil War, that's more or less what I would have told you. Because that's what's in the history books, including the textbooks that most high school students and middle school students and elementary school students even read almost to this day. And so um, I, I I became fascinated. Um, one of the other things I did, um, uh, th- this fellow, Brian Stevenson, who is responsible for the lynching memorial down in, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, he wrote a book called Just Mercy about his career as a, uh, a constitutional, um, a, a, an attorney who was representing people on death row in particular and um, touched on his own education about his own race and its history. And he had a bibliography of books that he suggested in the back of this book. This this book came out about six years ago. And I started to read through his suggested bibliography, the things that had informed him. And one of them was a book uh, by W.E.B. Du Bois um, about, I forget the exact title. It's like Black Reconstruction, uh, something like that. And it basically tells an alternate story about what really happened in under slavery during the civil war and in reconstruction and during Jim Crow, that was completely counter to what I'd been taught. So this is a much bigger answer to your question than you probably needed, but I realized I'd been hoodwinked. I'd been lied to. um, And I wanted to know why, first of all, why did that happen and how did that happen and why does it continue to happen? And America between when I started working on this project five years ago and today, Uh, I think, you know, some people know a lot more than they once did. Just because of the events of this year, and some people have done a crash course learning things. They've been reading books, they've been reading articles, they've been watching documentaries, they've been binging things on Netflix, and yet I still think the average American has a very poor idea of what really happened in this country, um, really from the, from the colonial times to the present, when it comes as it, as it relates in any way, shape, or form to how the majority white uh, culture has treated African Americans.
2: Well, I think there's no. Uh doubt uh, of that um of the uh the ignorance uh that has been uh put upon us by a, a vast majority of especially well white and black uh, but um about in the american education system uh that that is still perpetuated uh today and that you're right about uh this year um twenty twenty with everything that we've and really it goes back be, beyond that uh the the beginning of uh the exposure of uh black lives matter um a, a couple of years ago and how that's grown and uh led to um new books and as you mentioned uh, documentaries and and even movies um that are based uh, on, on fact that we didn't have before. I, it's been extraordinary, really. And, and so do you remember the first time uh, you tried to explain to someone the concept of the reckoning that uh, history um, had been, we'd been misled by history and, and the reaction that you got from some of those people?
1: Well, gosh, that, I don't know about the first time. I really, it probably started around the dining room table with my wife and kids. Um, you know, when I was um, first starting to develop this project, my kids were high school students um, at Manual High School in Louisville, which is arguably one of the best public high schools, certainly in, in Kentucky and probably in the nation. And um, And yet, what they were learning about Uh, slavery was extraordinarily truncated it was like they covered it in in a class you know one classroom uh day and um it's part of an enormous survey of american history they just whizzed right by it and um I was sharing my. I need to say that you know I am an, uh, from Massachusetts, but I, I married a woman who is I think an eighth generation Kentuckian, so my kids are ninth generation Kentuckians. Um and, uh, some of the history I was uncovering, um, well, all of it really is deeply unpalatable stuff, you know, and if you are from this place and you are just learning about really uncomfortable, unpleasant, and not very flattering things about the state's history, um, you know, sometimes the the initial reaction is, um, you know, some combination of, of denial or anger, you know, you're messing with my identity. You know, and this is a really tough question you've asked me because um different people react differently, but I would say, if you have had a um, uh, a belief about yourself that you and your family and the lineage behind you are essentially good people doing good things, and then you learn anything that 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 upsets that apple cart, okay that's a very tough thing to hear. Okay. So I I think in terms of analogies a lot of times. So let's just say that you never knew that your family's wealth came from a bank robber who was your great grandfather or your great great grandfather. Okay. And you have been told a, a story about how well actually he was, you know, he made money in the gold rush and he invested well. And that's why we do well today okay and then you hear a completely different story well actually you know what we actually owned about 50 slaves and uh you know we invested that money that they you know generated for us in different ways and that's why we're doing well today those are two very right it's a very different narrative and um some people react very badly to learning about that and even if it doesn't directly affect their family it's just the idea that If you were told a certain fable, a certain myth about the place you come from, and then you learn something different, um, you know, sometimes the initial reaction is negative. Um, And I understand that. Um, I mean, I learned some very hard truths about the place I grew up, Massachusetts, while I've done this research that was deeply troubling. I mean, Massachusetts, I mean, largely was the sort of, you know, between Virginia and Massachusetts. That's the start of the United States. That's the start of the British colonies. And that's also the start of slavery. And that's the start of some of the most oppressive laws controlling African uh, slaves. Um, and then later on, um, you know, some of the, the, I mean, it was a terrible place to grow up as a black person, the Boston area, and I grew up during the busing crisis of the 1970s. So, um, yeah, more than you needed to know from that question, but there you go.
2: Tell us if you can. In uh, the, the the the, it's four parts. Is that correct? A four part podcast series, or or will it will it be longer? Than that?
1: So um, th- this is a little confusing. The, there's a broadcast series and a podcast series, and they're not identical. The podcast series, which um, is uh, you can learn about on our website, ReckoningRadio.org, and is available on all the different podcasting platforms, um, includes everything that will be heard on public radio. But then we're going to expand upon what has been heard in the public radio specials dramatically. We've got lined up um, uh, right now, easily about ten other episodes that we've already basically done interviews for. We already have um, done the research for. So we, uh, and that's just what we already have under our belts. In a, and then we're we're interested in turning this into a multi-season uh, series that would go on for at least three seasons. Uh, the first of which would look basically at slavery in the South using kentucky as a jumping off point um the second part would look at slavery in the north um and in particular uh i have a a colleague that i'm producing this with loretta williams she is exploring the history of her own family who were african americans uh in the north shore of long island in the oyster bay area where the roosevelts lived um and uh then the third series would be about or the third season would be about how slavery impacted the west and the western expansion of the united states and um and which it was completely you know uh, you can't talk about the westward expansion of the united states without talking about slavery and why we needed all that land so we could have more cotton plantations etc
2: what did you try to do in the um the first um well i I know that the fourth episode is up now of the podcast, uh, so i 've heard three of those, uh, but you tell me uh, what you tried to do in the first three episodes
1: so the the they 're more or less told in chronological order, um, and the story is built around two families one african American one white, that are Inter um, who, who's, whose lives were were intertwined because of slavery, so we have the bullet family from Louisville, who owned uh, and still own the Oxmoor Plantation, which is now um, known as the Oxmoor Farm. And there is a a mall right in front of it that's a popular uh, shopping destination in the Louisville area. And then one family that descends from people who were enslaved by the Bullets, and um, they live in central Indiana. And uh, we refer to them as the Sanders family because that's what their ancestors were called, and of course, multiple generations since then have you know different, had different names. And through these two families, we're able to look at the history of slavery in Kentucky, how it worked. A lot of this is really nuts and boltsy stuff. It's sort of like um, the devil's in the details, right? Well, if you understand the details of how slavery operated in kentucky which was very much very similar to how it operated in other states in the south um you begin to grasp the enormity of this institution and its ubiquity how it it, it was integrated into almost every aspect of daily life um and, you know one of the many misconceptions about slavery i think in this country is that um It was mostly, you know, something that happened on big plantations. You know, you think of Gone with the Wind and and, and Tara and, um, you know, uh, mostly all field slaves, but then a handful of people taking care of the white family in the big house. Right. Well, in Kentucky, it was very different. And um, you could say this was also true in places like Missouri a lot of the border states where you had small numbers of slaves that were owned by families and sometimes maybe just one or two and they might um, do all sorts of things. They could be blacksmiths, they could be carpenters, they could be seamstresses. And in many cases, the way the the slave owners made money from them was by hiring them out to other people. So uh, imagine, if you will, you know, you had a family member, and in return for room and board, staying in your house, you hired them out to work as a temp worker for a neighbor. Okay, and that's what a lot of people did, including this bullet family. So we're able to look at all the different ways it was intertwined into commerce and industry, and the banking industry and the insurance industry, and all the different parts of American commerce.
2: And. It seems like to me that you, you were so specific in what you were trying to outline. I mean the the en- enormous body of work that you've put together, uh, and you and in, in your team that you've uh, worked with throughout all of this, the expert that you've drawn in, uh, the the amount of interviews um, is is quite extraordinary. And uh, honestly, before um, I heard. The first episode on W.E.K.U., the public radio station uh, for this part of uh, Kentucky, um, I I was just uh, I I didn't know anything about it. I I didn't know anything for first of all about the subject matter. I mean, like you uh, growing up and learning history um, and only uh, a broad brush stroke at that uh, as being a lifelong uh, Kentuckian. Uh, but then to hear uh, those uh, first couple of episodes uh, was extraordinary. And Dan, if, um, if we will, we'll take a break here and hear from our good friends at Spalding University. But then on uh, the other side of the spot, I'd like for you to talk to me about uh, what I heard in the third episode uh, that you discovered. Uh, and I'm going to ask you, is this the first time you had learned of the Sikh Museum, or at least the work that's being done down there and why it's being done. So we'll hear from Spalding University and be right back with Dan Gediman.
0: Spalding University's affordable, nationally distinguished low-residency MFA in writing offers excellent instruction in a compassionate, supportive community. Focus on your own area of concentration, explore across genres, and examine the interrelatedness of the arts. During one-on-one independent study, you'll write prolifically and receive expert feedback from your faculty mentor, developing the discipline to keep writing for life, study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu.
2: Dan, in the uh, third episode, as I mentioned, um, uh, it is, uh, now called for uh, a special, uh, reason, uh, the seek S E E K museum, uh, in Russellville, Kentucky in Logan County. Um, something that's been going on there for a couple of hundred years. Um, and, uh, it, when, when you made that trip, uh, down from Louisville to, to Russellville, uh, is it the first time you'd uh, you'd heard of uh, the, the incredible story that that takes place in Logan County uh, as it has to do with um, African Americans enslavement and lynchings?
1: So um, here's the way I'll answer your question. Um, f- there is one, Uh, scholar who has done more work on this subject than any other person and uh, that is uh, George Wright who is now um, on the faculty at UK and was at one time also uh, in the past in in the 70s and 80s on the UK faculty and in the interim was the uh, president of um, Prairie View A&M University down in Texas And he has written three different books on African-American history in Kentucky. And one of them is called Racial Violence in Kentucky. And I can't recommend it more highly for any of your listeners. And um, he has done something with this book that is uh, maybe unique to other states. I don't know, but I haven't found many books like this. He... uh, carefully explores every instance of mob violence and lynching that happened in Kentucky that he was able to learn about. Um, and it's quite an extraordinary piece of scholarship. And in the back, he has a, a chart that lists all the lynchings and all the places that they happened and who, who was killed and what the supposed crime was they were killed for, etc. And, um, after he wrote that book and right before he moved to Texas, he did something really quite extraordinary. He published a paper that I found on the internet that basically, I think it's called The End For Me But Not For You or something like that. And he basically said, okay, I'm leaving Kentucky. I'm done with my scholarship about the history of Kentucky, but someone needs to pick up the mantle for me. I I, I left off, uh, you know, I, I didn't complete my work, and he proceeds to uh, explain if if a new uh, historian was going to pick up where he left off, where they should look to find interesting stories to tell. And he goes out of his way to talk about Russellville, Kentucky, and Logan County. And he said, uh, "This place, um, extraordinary things happen there. Extraordinarily bad things happen there, but also there is great." Um, there's interesting stories to be told about what happened in this place and how it responded to the bad things that happened. And in looking into that, I discovered the Sikh Museum and this amazing fellow, um, uh, uh, Mark Moro, who runs the, let me say that again, I got his name wrong. And in the course of uh, looking into the Sikh Museum, I read about the amazing fellow who runs it, Michael Morrow. And um, this man basically just had a, his whole life, he has just wanted to do one thing, and that is to preserve the history of his community. And it's been something he's been interested in doing since he was a little boy, and he's just um, extremely it created an extraordinary archive of this one place and just through the sheer force of his will and his effort and hours and hours of work he has put together this sort of 365 degree 360 degree view of what happened there during the jim crow era in particular, the reason I was interested in Russellville is because of a quadruple lynching that happened there in 1908. And there's a, um, an extraordinary exhibit that um, is in the Sikh Museum that we describe in the documentary series, The Reckoning, where there is a sculpture of a tree in a room With four nooses hanging from it. And it is the centerpiece literally of an exhibit that takes up the entire building that it's in. It's a shotgun uh, house in in, uh, Russellville, and tells this incredibly tragic story of these four men who were all killed on the same day. Um, and it's a particularly horrifying story, but unfortunately, it's only one of like, I forget the exact number, 370, 380 lynchings that happened in Kentucky between the 18, uh, late 1860s and uh, the early 1930s. And um, so there's a lot of reckoning to be had in the state of Kentucky, um, in particular because it was a hotbed of racial violence, um, especially in Western Kentucky and in Central Kentucky. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Dr. Wright is an extraordinary uh, professor uh, and and former uh, college uh, president. He's now a vice president of inclusion um, and diversity at the University of Kentucky, as well as continuing to teach uh, history. And uh, I think all of the uh, people who are in his presence and and, uh, listen to him uh, talk about uh, the plight of um, Africans uh, who uh, came to this country uh, in um, many hundreds of years ago up to present day, I think he would argue. Uh, He uh, is also, I'm, I'm proud to say, has agreed to uh, be on our board of directors at Kentucky Humanities beginning in 2021. And he will um, uh, be uh, such a uh, an important person to have uh, as someone that we can uh, call on uh, for the humanities across the Commonwealth. Dan, um, you must be enormously uh, proud of this work. I, I don't know if you, uh, at the very beginning of the project, knew uh, just how important the uh, this this work will stand, and uh, I know it's not finished, and you have plenty to do. If you, as you have spelled out to us, uh, would you also, because I see on your your team, your uh, the group of uh, uh, professionals that you have pulled together to put this uh, on, uh, a, experts from uh, m- several universities uh, on education and and history but, uh, social studies. Um, and there is a, another link to uh, Kentucky humanities because one of our other board uh, members is also involved and uh, very, very much involved in the social studies uh, organization, uh, in, in Kentucky. Do you hope to in some way influence the, the textbook writers, uh, that, uh, children, uh, young people in the future will have an opportunity to learn the real and true story of, of African-Americans and their plight, uh, of the enslaved in, in the South, in, in the, in the world, uh, but, but specifically in Kentucky?
1: So the short answer is yes. Um, the longer answer is, um, Changing the textbook industry is going to be a very, very difficult thing. It's an incredibly conservative institution. It moves very slowly. There are books now being used um, that are recently published in high school uh, history classes that were originally written in you know the, the 60s or even earlier, that are in their like you know, 16th edition. They just keep adding on top of They'll add new chapters and new graphics and new charts. Um, but the fundamental um, story that's being told in many cases is deeply flawed. So it's, that's going to be very difficult um, to accomplish. But what can be done and what we are doing, and just a quick plug to any of your listeners who are educators, we have a variety of curricula that have been uh, created specifically for our project built around the history of slavery in Kentucky, suitable for use by elementary, middle, and high school uh, educators in the, in in social studies, um, and um, this can augment what 's in textbooks. A lot of social studies teachers have to basically teach against what's in their textbook so they're forced to use the textbook because that's what's in their school but they augment it with other materials with second you know third party materials and they find lots of stuff on the internet and they print things out for their students etc so that's the way to influence the um the the what, what educators do with their students is to augment what they are forced to use by their um, school systems. But my hope is that in the long run, the events of 2020, maybe including this series in a small way, will slowly start to move the educational industrial complex toward a true reckoning with our real history around slavery and Jim Crow oppression in America, because... It's a long time coming. But I got to tell you, if you look at how long it's taken textbook publishers to address other things, it, it, it's almost like a geological time. You know, it might take a decade for any significant changes to be made. And then you have to remember that school systems have very little money. And in the state of Kentucky, we, we have progressively un, un, unfunded and underfunded uh, education. So a lot of school systems just can't afford to buy new textbooks. They're mm-hmm. stuck with what they bought 10 years ago.
2: Dan, uh, the uh, website is uh, is excellent. Uh, let's uh, give a, a plug for that, too. Uh, and it's very easy to find. Is it, is it .org? Is it the Reckoning? It's
1: ReckoningRadio.org.
2: ReckoningRadio.org. and we'll have that uh for people if they uh don't uh, write that down or are listening to us on the on their radio um and and are the school materials that you mentioned or uh what uh, the uh t- teachers across Kentucky can can utilize are they all found on your website
1: yes they 're all on the website, uh, and in addition to the ones that were uh, created specifically for us, we have also put together a useful collection of other curricula that uh, from other sources that are useful to um, for any social studies teacher that really wants to dive deep into this subject with their students so with, there's there 's a variety of curricula available
2: there well, the bibliography alone is incredible uh, the work that has been done to compile that, and then just very very quickly uh the the slave uh narratives uh that you have included just tell us briefly about those and and they're not only available uh on your website but other places too uh why and and how did you include those
1: so uh first yes so on our website we have over 100 i think it's about a, roughly 125 um narratives, they're basically oral histories from uh, formerly enslaved Kentuckians mostly put together by the WPA Federal Writers Project in the mid-1930s. Some of them come from Fisk University. um, And then in our bibliography, there are book-length narratives that were written by um, literate former slaves um, who wrote their memoirs. Um, And collectively, to my knowledge, I don't know of another place that has all of these in one place that I know of. Um, And it was very difficult to find them because Because what happened after the Civil War is, and largely because of the the mob violence and the lynchings that happened in Kentucky, is that uh, roughly 100,000 African Americans left the state. And uh, a lot of them went to Ohio and Indiana. And so – um, when they went looking for still living former slaves in the 1930s, most of them weren't in Kentucky. They were in Indiana, they were in Texas, they were in Ohio, they were in Michigan. So, you have to go looking in all of the anthologies of these narratives which were done to find the people who were from who were enslaved in Kentucky. And sometimes you just, they, they only mentioned Kentucky one or two times. And so, if you're just looking for keyword searching, they're hard to find. So, that's why I what we've done the scholarship that went into this, which by the way, we worked with Spalding university with uh, several of a class of, of their students who actually went through all of these narratives and, um, and, and, and helped to um, add a series of tags <clears throat> for them so that people can find narratives about specific topics. So if you just want to learn about, for instance, what it was like to be hired out to somebody else, other than working for your or enslaver, um, it, you can just look for that. So, um, I believe that it's really important to read the actual uh, words of the formerly enslaved um, with the caveat that these were transcribed by usually white um, uh, hum- humanities people of the time. However, and so, you know, they, it, it's, it's through their lens and they may have edited it in certain ways to avoid certain things. But nonetheless, it's all we have if you want a first-person understanding of what it was like to be enslaved, this is, specifically in Kentucky, this is the source to find that out.
2: Um, well, it, once again, is just um, uh, an incredible and important work for anyone, no matter what age, from uh, young people uh, in, in grade school just becoming familiar with um with, with Lincoln and uh, the Civil War um, to uh, whet their appetite to, to go uh, farther, uh, all the way up to the older generation, which I firmly uh, plant my foot in, uh, that are learning things uh, from you and from Dr. Wright and from these uh, slave narratives that I'd never imagined uh, before. It's just an incredible work, and you are uh I, I know you're proud of it and and you have uh, reason to be so so um thank you for sharing your story with us
1: all right well thank you bill
2: dan uh, good luck to you uh again the series uh reckoningradio.org is the website uh you can find out where you can listen to all of it the podcast uh, and the uh what is uh, on the air now at least on WEKU um We uh, hope to learn more about this and to follow it uh, from here on. So once again, Dan Gediman, a producer of The Reckoning. That's it for Think Humanities.
1: Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate it very much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.